Football Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the Italian Football Podcast. I'm Carlo Garganese, here as always with Nima Tavali. So the Mercato has absolutely exploded over the last week. Um, I have no idea how we are going to get through all of it today, but we will do our best. Um, the big story, of course, Sandro Tonali, who is about to join Newcastle in a in a record transfer for an Italian. And Milan fans are, are absolutely heartbroken um, about that. So we're going to discuss all about Tonali. Um, and it's it's not been a good week for Milan because they have lost or are about to lose Marcus Taram, who was their top attacking target, to um, to their rivals, City rivals, Inter, and they've been beaten and to the punch by Inter. There, uh, very very busy uh, at uh, at Inter. Uh, Marcello Brozovic, uh, who we can probably describe as an Inter legend, leaving is leaving the club to go to Saudi Arabia. He's about to be replaced by Davide Fratesi. Uh, Inter are also about to sign Cesar Aspiliqueta on a free transfer from Chelsea to replace Milan Skrinja. Um, their goalkeeping position, uh, Onana's future, we'll discuss about him um, because the, the probable replacement for him was going to be Guglielmo Vicario, but he's on the way to Tottenham from Empoli. We're going to discuss that. Um, Juventus, uh, the chaos continues there. Um, they are about to sign Timothy Weyer, the United States international um, from Lille for 12 million. Um, this is a transfer that hasn't really pleased um, Juventus fans. Um, Allegri has rejected a lucrative offer from Saudi Arabia. He's going to stay. Rabio is about to sign a new contract at Juventus for another year. Uh, so there's so much, so much to talk about. Uh, also, of course, following on from Tonali, this whole kind of exodus of big stars from Serie A. Um, it is concerning, um, so we are going to discuss that. Um, away from the, the transfer market, uh, Italy are in the under-21 Euros. They've played two games since our last show. They lost to France in, a, in one of the most controversial, well, I would say scandalous uh, refereeing performances I've ever seen in my life. Um, but they did re- recover with a, a very, very nervy 3-2 win against Switzerland. There's lots to talk about that. Um so, so yeah, lots to talk about today. We're going to try our best to, to, to zoom through each topic um, as fast as we can, um, but uh, lots to talk about. So for all our first-time listeners, this is our free weekly episode, which we do every Monday, reviewing the weekend Serie A action and all the biggest talking points in Italian football. If you want to support the Italian Football Podcast and receive all of our content that we do throughout the week, which includes our weekly Q&A episode every Tuesday where we answer all the questions sent in from our patrons, plus our weekly Thursday midweek review show, plus interviews, post-match reaction and much, much more, then go to patreon.com slash TIFP and you can become a subscriber for just $2.99 a month plus VAT. And for all of you that listen on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, um, we'd really appreciate it. Give us a five-star rating. Subscribe to us. Uh, we're also on YouTube as well. Give us a su- subscribe there. Um, it really helps us to grow. Okay, let's start off with Tonali's move to Newcastle. Okay, Nima. So um, for those uh, listening um, who are regular listeners um, and patrons, we did uh, a special podcast, extra podcast on this. Uh, it was almost an hour long on Thursday. Where we went into great detail talking about Tonali's move to, to Newcastle um, from all different angles. Um, so we aren't going to talk talk about this for too long today. What we are going to do is just focus 
on what I consider to be the biggest uh, issue here. And that is the feeling of the Milan fans, how heartbroken they are and how concerned they are about the direction that Milan are going and whether they are now not only a selling club, but a club that are only only care about profit and not about success on the pitch, um, Nima. So what do you have to add to what we already discussed on, on Thursday? Well, it just continues that to reinforce that feeling um, of everything we said that, you know, the more I think about it from a broader perspective, the football that we all grew up with, those of us who were born from 95 and earlier, club football is completely dead. It is now a hybrid between this kind of US player trading franchise sports with transfer fees. Um, these clubs are, are entertainment companies. They're not football clubs at the highest level and that's that's all there is really um it's not that all of that all of those stuff all of those things that we grew up with to a certain extent uh, they've been dead for a long time but now they're absolutely dead um and you know this this as i said on thursday this the road to get to here you know before you get to the letter z you start with the letter a we this has been a long time coming to get to this um and there are no one no one's innocent you know italian football we're, do, we're doing this in the 80s and 90s when they hoovered up all the talent then. Now we're seeing it at a level that we've never seen before uh, with state-owned clubs coming in and, and pumping in money. Some, you know, violating the laws uh, that are there, the rules and regulations in place and getting away with it, while others get caught in the web of the settlement agreement with UEFA. Um, but it is what it is. This is how it is. And I understand Milan fans being upset, but I think more than Tonali leaving, I think this is more about illusions dying. Uh, the illusion of Milan as the club that they grew up with, the family club, that's dead, officially, uh, fully dead. Um, and, you know, with Silvio Berlusconi dying the other week, it kind of becomes, it's it's a lot to take in for Milan fans, because regardless of how you feel about him as a politician, he was the most successful football president that Italian football and world football had at one stage. And he is such a, he brought so much joy to Milan and Milanisti. So it's a lot of, you know, changes uh, all at once. Um, yeah, emotionally, it's been really tough for Milan yeah, the last the last yeah. few weeks. Losing Maldini. And then Maldini, and, of course. Yeah, losing Maldini in the manner that, that, that he was tossed away, mm. like, like trash, yeah. and with a 76-word statement. Um, and not even and then, anything on social media, not even a thank you for anything. It's just no, no. Just, I mean, that's just no. sums up the corporate world. Uh, yeah, no, no. There's no. They are. There's no sentimentality. There's no nothing. It's no respect. Um, no all. nothing. It's it's the numbers, yeah. and I decide. And if you don't like it, there's the door. Do mm. one. Yeah, losing and, Maldini, and, losing Tonali. But you know, as we discussed on length on <coughs> on, on in Thursday's show, like we 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 us Serie A fans. Uh, not just Milan fans have come to accept that this is the way things are now. Yeah, that that Serie A cannot compete, and we, we've got a segment on this lower down. Serie A cannot compete with with the, with the Premier League, uh, with the with the money that they have, uh, and you know Serie A teams are going to be to an extent selling clubs. We, we've we've had to accept that. I've accepted yeah. it now. I don't yeah, even get too. angry about yeah. it anymore. I I just kind of I'm just almost indifferent to it right now, which is in a, in a way worse. Um, but but at the same time, I feel like the, the way that Milan fans feel right now is that their owner, Cardinale, is an owner who 
only wants to make money and doesn't care about success. Uh, and there's levels to that, but not not to these levels. Um, that you know, this is this is this is this is his intention going forward. He, he wants to be profitable, uh, and a bit like the Glazers at Manchester United, where um, you know they've been happy to finish in the top four each year as long as they are generating a certain amount of revenue that they can then take their dividends out of the club that they that they are making a certain amount of money. As long as they're, you know, ticking along, that's fine. But in terms of actual real success, that success that Milan fans, even if it's not going to be on a European level, because like I said, we've accepted that, that Serie A teams just can't compete with the Premier League. But at least on a, you know, a domestic level, at least a general level, you know, that, well, actually, Cardinale doesn't really care about that. As long as he's getting into the Champions League each year, he's generating revenue. Well, it, do, it doesn't bother him if they're going to, challenge it's consistently for the Scudetto or if they're going to be putting together these kind of teams it is it, it, do you know what I mean so this is I think this is definitely the the, the biggest concern from a medium to long-term point of view for, for Milan fans with this owner with Cardinale yeah <clears throat> no this is what they want to do I mean he's been very honest about that there's a reason why these hedge fund guys salivate at the mouth at the Atalanta model how much is Atalanta one nothing uh, but they are profitable <laughs> that that's that's the key here. When they talk about the Atalanta model, that's that's just a really polite way of saying we're here to make lots of money mm. and to capitalize on it, and we won't return on our investment. And if we don't win, we don't care as long as we're profitable. That's that's what the Atalanta model means. It doesn't mean anything other than that. It means finding young players for for pennies, developing them, cashing in big, and moving on. That means that one of the biggest institutions in Italian football, Milan, will no longer actively compete for the Champions League, or can do. Something we already kind of knew anyway. It's not like news mm. to anyone. But this is this is like, the, it's kind of become so, so obvious that this is where Italian football is. When Milan is doing this, when Milan is in the hands of a guy who is openly like this, well, Juve and Inter will follow. And Napoli's Napoli, you know, Napoli's been like that for a long time with the Lions. He's been very honest about that. Udinese mm. have been very clear about that. Um, yeah, we'll come on to this. I mean, we'll one thing on, we'll though, on I, to... I want one thing though. I want to. I think one thing that is good about this is that it'll make the Serie A much more exciting because no team will open up a winning dominant cycle for the yeah. foreseeable future, and it means that there's a lot of chance for many clubs in the Serie A to win the Serie A because yeah, sure. every year players will be will disappear from yeah we'll come on to this in the segment about the exodus of, of the of the of the Serie A stars yeah. stars um we we should just say though that and 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 this will lead us on nicely to to our second segment about Marcus Terrell is that Milan's if they had any plans of how they would replace Tenali it, it, it's not going well um all of their first targets not just in that position but elsewhere are they are falling very short on um, we've just learnt as we're recording this on um, Monday morning that Milan are now in advance talks with, with Ruben Loftus-Cheek, um, which, again, that is not going to, that's not going to please Milan fans. And, and again, I think he's a good player, but it's not, you know, this is not what you do. You don't replace Sandro Tonali with, with Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Um, and, you know, so, so this brings me on nicely to Milan missing out on... Um, Marcus Turam um, to Inter because I think that again as we were discussing on Thursday 
about how Cardinale just clearly doesn't understand the differences between football or soccer with American sports, which he does have knowledge and experience working in. He wants to completely Americanize um, AC Milan with a way of working, this money ball model that, that he's talking about, this, this use of data and analytics and spreadsheets and science and stuff that is important in football, but needs to be married together with, with actual knowledge of the un- and understanding and intangibles exactly. that are in football, uh, which things that Maldini bring. And that brings, us on, brings me on nicely to how he shoved Maldini and Masada aside. They, they, were, they, they got rid of them. And he thought that he could, he could appoint in their positions uh, Furlani, uh, give him a promote well, not a promotion, but he'd be in charge of kind of like negotiations and everything, together with Monsada. Who Moncada, is a scout? Moncada. Moncada. Sorry, yes, to, to pronounce. We've it learned that it's Mon- Moncada. Moncada, who is a world class scout, one of the best scouts in the world, one of the best talent spotters in the world, and I, I talk about it all the time about how fantastic he is at spotting players. Um, but you know, being a scout is different to being a a sporting director, and and for Alani, the the same as well. Um, from what what he's been doing, um, from a financial background. Um, and Cardinale has, has, you know, cannot understand this, that the, the, the importance of, of Maldini and Masala and the roles that they played. And that has obviously played in these negotiations with, with, with Taram and with these other players that they haven't been able to, to, to deals they haven't been able to do. And they're now having to move down the, the list of players. Um, because Fellaini comes from a corporate background, completely corporate. He, he worked for, for Elliot and then he worked for the Lehman brothers, uh, and, you know, he has no knowledge or understanding or experience in football, in actual football matters, the understanding of football. And Monsada, he does, but he's a scout. So these people, Cardinales move these people into positions that they have no experience or knowledge or understanding of doing. And you can't tell me that that didn't play a role in, the, in these negotiations with, with Saran. No, I think that's part of it. And I think it's going to be some learning, a grace period for them to learn and get into into um, in, into the swing of things, but it's obvious that they don't understand. They're not football people. Football is the way it is. And it's going to take some time for them to understand how it is. And if you've got Paolo Maldini on the phone, just uh, the intangible prestige that he, it brings. And it's not just him being Paolo Maldini. It's also how he carries himself, the respectful way in which he carries himself and, and and all doors are open to him because he is who he is, not just as a player, but also as a person off the pitch, always respectful, always a gentleman. Um, so, you know, of course he makes mistakes too, mistakes too, but it's, um, I think it had some impact, but I don't think it had that much of an impact that people want to turn it into because you have to remember that Marcus Turam was on the verge of joining Inter two summers ago when on the last weekend before the transfer window closed, he injured himself injured his knee and was away for two was was missed two months and Inter instead went after Joaquin Correa. So and then of course Inter have maintained this relationship with Turam. They've the Al Azilio met his agents during the World Cup and, and so they've always been in contact. So it's not like Inter just waltzed in here to to just steal a player from Milan. He's a player Inter have been linked to and they've built a relationship with him and his entourage over a long period of time. Um, so there is the, the, that's that's you know that's the full story, but look if we talk about an Inter perspective, I'm absolutely delighted with this role with this with this uh, signing. 
Um, because from an asset management point of view, which is what we have to talk about now when we are talking about Italian football, you lose Marco, you lose Milan Skriniar on a free transfer. You get a not a player not not as you know not as highly valued as Skriniar, of course, but someone who you know you bring in someone on a free transfer to make up for that, and that's incredibly important. Um, then you look at and also given the settlement agreement that Inter are in, that's fundamentally important. Mm. And then you look at the player attributes of him, and he may not be a prolific goal scorer. This season, I think he scored more. He had a fantastic start to the season, and then there were minor injuries, and then the World Cup kind of disrupted that. But he's a, he's he's the kind of striker that Inter need, um, especially with Dzeko gone. Um, and he's the kind of striker who's, who's a good link-up player. He's fast, he's technical, he can dribble. Inter don't have that. And I think with... Lautaro and with Lukaku not owning Lukaku, they had to they, they had to get Marcus Turam. Inter needed Marcus Turam way more than Milan did. And I was very annoyed that they hadn't already wrapped this up. Uh, but now it seems they have. Turam is about to arrive on we're recording this on a Monday, it's supposed to arrive on Tuesday. So no, it's it's he's gonna sign a five-year contract. It's 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 a smart move again. Last summer, Andreonana, Mikitarian. Uh, you know, the summer before that, Acerbi on loan, Lukaku on loan. The season before that, you had um, a Dzeko on a free transfer, you know, so, and then Darmian and so on. So this this is how Inter have to operate now. You know, there's no champagne, there's no money being thrown around like in a 1990s uh, hip-hop video. People aren't throwing dollar bills at the camera <laughs> at Inter. But uh, it's this is this is how they have to do it because they you know and, and they've got one of the best in the game to do it in, in Beppe Marotta. So this is, yeah. this is a bit of a redemption for him as well after the ginormous screw up of Milan screen. What do you think of the the, 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 the salary six million a season? You have to understand that it's a decreta crescita, the growth decree. So for the first two or three years, they'll pay a lower tax on it. So he Jeko was on ten million gross. He'll be on eight. So he's cheaper than Jeko. And I don't expect Turam to stay at Inter for a longer period of time. I think within the next two years he'll be sold, because again, this is the reality we live in. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think it's a good signing. Um, I, I I mean, he's not prolific, which I think he does need to improve scoring. I mean, if he's, uh, it depends how you know, Inter use him. If they go with the two up front, he plays with with Lautaro. I mean, Inter still don't have that that clinical first striker. Uh, of course, he could improve, but you know, I you think he'll at, be that. I if you look at the last six, that. if you look at his last, if you look at his six seasons as a as a as a player in a in a top league, like in a in a first top flight league, he scored three, nine, ten, eight, three, thirteen. Uh, so you know that isn't last season was his best best season with thirteen goals. So you know you could say okay, he's he's, he's improving, but uh, yeah, I think he yeah, he definitely needs to score more goals than he's been scoring. Um, I, I think he Twitter. will. I think at Inter he will have that role. I think he will He will have that role to, uh, and he, he will share it together with, with Lautaro who is becoming more and more of a complete striker at Inter even though I don't think he'll ever become that kind of 35 goal plus season kind of striker. But with, with Turam you have something else. Um, and if they are able to somehow bring in uh, Romelu Lukaku as well, well, Lautaro, Turam, Lukaku and Correa, I don't even mind if Joaquin Correa stays. Um, mm. Because that's that's an that's an attack that tells me that Simone Inzaghi is going to rotate exactly like he did the last two months of the season, and I think he's going to do that pretty much from when the Champions League starts. 
Um, I think that's the that's the plan moving forward. That he needs to keep the players fresh. He's not going to, you know, run some players into the ground. He's going to rotate and rotate and rotate. And he wants players mm. of a certain quality across yeah. the board in the team. No, I think I think Morata's doing a fantastic job um, this summer. Um, I'll, again, just just to finish off from one final point in the Milan point of view, I think that with Taram, in addition to what I, what I said about um, Furlani and and uh, Moncada, is you know I, I be, always believe that as it stands at the moment, you look at Inter and then you compare them to Milan, and if it's a fifty fifty decision between the players, uh, possible signing, they're going to go to Inter because that you're looking at Milan. A, a semi-established player I'm talking about, uh, like Taram. I'm not going to call him an established player. I'm going to call him a semi-established player. You know, would you want to join Milan after you see that they're selling Tonali, they're open to selling Teo Hernandez, they've, they've disjocide Maldini, they've pr- pretty much shown that they're a club that just want to going to buy youngsters uh, and develop them and then sell on? Um, or would you join Inter, who, yes, as we said, it's Serie A, but... But they've shown last season they got to Champions League final. There's definitely a brotherhood there, a togetherness, mm. uh, and and they are still they've shown a willingness to still try and fight out for the for the biggest trophies, not just in Italy but but in Europe as well. Now, if I'm Taran, I'm 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 joining I'm joining Inter. For young players, it's fine to have that model of of Milan because you those 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 young players will say right, it's a stepping stone for me um, at Milan. Sounds crazy me saying that Milan is a stepping stone. Yeah, I mean, what, but that's, what's, that's what's exactly. What no, but that's been a long time coming. I mean, Elliot yeah. laid the groundwork for that, didn't they? Yeah, and that was the project. And and the and the issue was that Maldini mm. was very vocal about him wanting Milan to start investing more, and he's no longer there because they're not going to yeah. do that. But but as a as a kind of <clears> the image of Milan now is is after this Tonali deal, especially, is completely that now. Whereas Inter. Yeah. Yes, we accept they, they they have to make sacrifices. They might have to sell Onana. You know, they're, they're going to have to wheel and deal, which is what Morata does. But they are still doing that with the aim of being, biting it out with the very best. And Milan just don't have that image. So I think that that is also a reason why uh, Taram uh, probably made a decision to join Inter ahead of Milan. And, and it's also a reason why probably Fratesi might make now make the same decision and be the man to replace Marcello Brozovic, who's on his way to Al Nasser. Is that mm. correct, Nima? Yeah, it seems like, uh, I mean, Brozovic himself had a, had a, had a Instagram interaction with Fabrizio Biasin, the journalist who basically Biasin wrote him and said, you know, thank you for, you know, I'm going to miss you so much. Thank you for everything. And he said, everyone's saying, writing me saying goodbye and I've not spoken to anyone. What's going on? And laugh emojis. But you know, we all know that, <clears throat> bro. He's not so he's not decided to leave, but I think he's close to leaving. Um, and Inter are, I have said, they wanted they want twenty five million euros. I think a deal can be agreed for twenty three. Um, Barcelona don't have the money, uh, and also they've sound, sound, signed Gundogan, Gundogan now. So, you know, on a free. So we'll see. I I, I still think Brozovic would like to play for Barcelona rather than Al Nasser, but Al Nasser are paying him ridiculous amounts of money, and it's. From what I understand, mm. his their, his agents think he should go to Saudi Arabia. We'll see what happens. But regardless, and Barcelona have just signed Gundogan. Yeah, um, that's what so, I said. Yeah, so yeah. it's not they're not going to sign pay twenty three million for, for no, for no, they're not. Shape. They're not. They're really not. <clears throat> so and financially, they're a mess as well. So. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> no, and also the interview Fratesi did with the Gazetta, I think it was, was very very telling. He said, "I'm a mezzala." 
Milan don't really play with Metzale. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to play in a 4-3-3, or he wants to play in a three-man midfield. Milan yeah. play with a 4-2-3-1. So, and, and also Carnival. Which I totally Sassu- agree with. Which I totally yeah. agree with, by the way. Yeah, me too. And also Sassolo CEO basically said the other week, that on Friday, I think he said that, you know, we haven't even had a phone call from Milan yet. So we know that they had a meeting with Juve, but not, nothing from Milan. Um, so yeah. we'll see. I think I think um, it depends on Brozovic. I think Inter are going to basically put their foot down and demand something here and say, look, we need in or out, Brozovic. If you're going, we're selling you to this because this is what we want. Mm. If not, you're staying. And then Francesi, Francesi is a fantastic, will be a fantastic replacement um, for Inter. And it just shows. I mean, I think, I think Marotta's doing, doing an amazing job. And again, in comparison to Milan and in comparison to Juventus, you know, Inter have a clear idea, a clear project of what they're trying, in terms of team building and what they're trying to do. And Fratesi obviously can see that. Like you said, he sees himself as a Metzala. He sees what Inter are building and he sees a a place for him in the Inter team. Whereas he looks at Milan and then if he looks at Juventus, who are the other team who have been in for Fratesi for a long time and have, have had talks with Sassuolo recently as well. Well, how can he possibly look at Juventus and say, right, should I join Juventus over over Inter? Well, well, where am I going to play? They've got a bunch of midfielders. Rabiot might stay, he might leave. Uh, Pogba, he might he might be fit, he might not be fit. Um, you know, Allegri is the coach. Is that good for my development? Uh, what formation are they going to play? We still don't even know what formation, what system Juventus are going to play. They're going to play a three-five-two. They're going to play a four-three-three. They're going to play something else. You know, so for for me, it's a no-brainer for Fratesi that for his career. Um, and he said he didn't want to go to the Premier League either. He said he wants to stay. Yeah, no, he was very clear. He said he wanted to stay in Italy. He was very, very Which I think is wise as well, uh, especially in a Euro 2024 year, uh, in the year of that of the of the of the Euros. It's I, I always think it's. Uh, no, you don't want risky. to move then. I always think yeah. it's risky going out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Do it in a non-tournament year. You know, yeah, give yourself time to, to and that, that's that's a risk for Tonali as well. Um, but I think Marotta's doing a fantastic job. I think he's do, doing I think amazing. I, want to, I think Marotta did a fantastic job with Marcus Turan. Uh, we have to wait and see with Fratesi. Um, yeah, if it gets done. done. And that brings us on to Aspelicueta as the replacement for Squinia. This deal is basically done. Um, free transfer. <clears throat> You're not so happy about this? No, I think this is an embarrassment. You talk about Inter having a project. What project? Uh, you sell, you get, you lose, you fumble away Milan Skriniar, and you bring in Cesar Aspilicueta as his replacement on a two-year deal because he's, he he comes on a free transfer. You're basically begging. You're telling him, you know, liberate yourself from Chelsea and we'll get you on a free transfer for two years. Uh, he's not coming in to replace Danilo D'Ambrosio. Anyone who thinks that needs a reality check because the wages he's going to be on, even with the growth decree, is going to be so high. He's go- he's coming in to replace Milan Skriniar, and anyone who says in 2023 that Cesar is a upgrade or even a step sideways compared to Milan Skriniar don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand football. It's as simple as that. Cesar Aspilicueta can do a job for Inter, absolutely. He can he can probably be good for a year or two, but don't talk to me about a project when it's another stopgap, another stopgap. Uh, solution. In do Inter have an alternative here to, to a stopgap? Like, what would you rather? Than, well, who would you rather? He's have gone had Marotta's had twelve months to find an alternative, and this is what mm. he comes up with. It's yeah. pathetic, really. I'm sorry, but it is. It's absolutely pathetic. You have twelve months to deal with the whole Skriniar debacle, and this is your reply. Mm. Yeah, 
No, no, no. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It's taken in isolation on this transfer only. Like, I think the other work he's done has been really good. Well, of uh, course, but if we're talking this, about this summer, this summer, in terms of well, Taram, in terms yeah. of we'll replacing Frattesi. Getting, yeah, we'll Frattesi, Frattesi, yeah, But look, I think it's um, this is absurd. Um, but it is yeah. what it is. Inter, this is where Inter are. Um, and hopefully he can, you know, I think, he, you know, if we previous, you know, it's anything to go by previous years or anything to go by, he's a great to the right. He's a great right center back in a back three. He can probably do a good job. He can probably help do what, you know, do what Simone Inzaghi wants his left and right center back to do in the, in the attacking phase. I have severe doubts about the defensive phase because you have now Bastoni, and then two 34, 35, 36, 37-year-olds. Yeah. And then you have Defray on top of that. It's And then Darmian as well. I mean, it's, Yeah, there's, it's a big like, lack of, there's a big lack of pace. Although Spiliquet is pretty quick over, over a few yards, but not over distances. Yeah, but everyone is over 30, except for Bastoni. Um, yeah. Well, Spiliquet is about to turn 34, so I guess <sighs> we have to see, you know, is he still up for it, up to it? I mean, he hasn't been at his best in the last year or so, but then who has at Chelsea? <laughs> You know, everyone was no, terrible. look, I, what I'm saying season. is, look, Francesco Acerbi was also had a dreadful season and he came to Inter and, and was fantastic. But so I'm, 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 I'm saying he can do a job. He can probably do a good job. But there is no vision here. You can't mm. tell me with another stopgap solution like Aspilicueta and your entire back line is now 30-plus, barring Bastoni. Yeah. I mean, well, the... we'll see. We'll see. Maybe, you know, they might cash in on Andre Onana and that might free up cash to sign another centre Which is we'll, insane because we'll if you sell Marcelo Brozovic, you need to have someone who can help you build build from the back. And Andre Onana does that. He has, the, he has the feet of a regista, even though he's a goalkeeper. He has the vision and the passing range and, and the creativity. So, would you, so just, just, to, just, <clears throat> to, just to sum up here, Inter were planning to potentially sell Onana to Manchester United and then use that money to sign Guglielmo Vicario at yeah. probably half the price yeah. uh, or more. Uh, but now Vicario is on the way to Tottenham as we're recording yeah. this. He's having his medical on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's joining Tottenham now. So that's taken that possibility out now. So I guess the question is what, what happens now? I mean, you see the names being linked. Jan Sommer, Keylor Navas, Mamardashvili. Uh, it's ridiculous, yeah. it's a, utterly it's a, ridiculous. Um, so I'm sorry, no, I'm not gonna. You know, it's for me now. Onana's off the market. You, you cannot sell Masa. If you're selling Brozovic, you can't sell Onana. You can't sell them both. You need to have someone who can play those part, all important passes. And 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 Onana also allows Inter with with Onana Inter have eleven outfield players. Um, because of how fantastic he is in the attacking phase, and I'm talking strictly the attacking phase. I'm not worried. Defensively, there are you know he's a great shot stopper, but there are great go- shot stoppers out there. But there are no goalkeepers who have who are as good in the build up phase in the attacking phase with yeah. their feet as Andre Onana. Okay, well there enough is about no Inter. One. Is this a good is this a good transfer for Tottenham, Vicario? I think so. Yeah, I think I really like him. I think he's um, he's he's a modern goalkeeper. Uh, he's like a, for me, he's always been like I said uh, to, to me, it's been Handanovic, but two point oh um, this kind of. Great shot stopper, good reflexes. He's good with his, much better with his feet at this age than Handanovic was in the corresponding age. Um, he's he's a reflex goal, goalkeeper. He's good in the air. He commands the air well. My only concern is that he the rebounds are straight out, just like Handanovic. 
Um, he's not very good at controlling the rebounds when shots come in. He puts them always straight out. That's yeah. what I don't like. Mm. Um, so he needs to improve on that. And I think, uh, and of course, it, you know, he's no Andre Onana in the build-up phase. He's a good passer, but he doesn't have that vision. His distribution is very good, actually. He's one of the top uh, in. In fact, we did a we did a profile on him yeah, uh, recently, which ago. is on our YouTube, which is on our YouTube, yeah. um, <clears throat> uh, which has been shared quite a lot by Tottenham. Yeah. Tottenham uh, fans, fans. Um, where we talk about went through some of his stats. He has got some of the best stats in in Serie A for mm. distribution and as a kind of a sweeper keeper. Mm. Um, although he's he's nowhere near Onana's level, I, mean, no, I don't think anybody no is really. No, no, uh, no Onana's the best in the world at that, and yeah. that's what I'm worried about from an Inter perspective. But for Vicario, I think it's I think as I you know as uh, people have asked me from Spurs outlets, I've told them you need to be patient with him. Um, I think he's going to need some time to get acquainted with it. I think it's a good transfer. I mean, he's, he's half. I mean, for me, it's a bargain. If you can consider they were going to pay double the price for for Raya from um, uh, Brentford. Brentford, you know, that's a that's a. I mean, so it's it's. it's a, I think they save a lot of money there, uh, and yeah, I, I, I think for the money they paid, you know, it's, it's another blow for Serie A, which we'll, we'll come to. Um, but for for Vicario, I think yeah, it'll be the number one. And I think it'll definitely be an upgrade on, on Loris, who's who's been a shambles the last few seasons. So, yeah, I think that's a good. I think it's a good deal for, for Tottenham. Um, let's move on to Juventus now. Um, I'm not sure how good of a deal this is. So Timothy Weyer, who is the son of the legend George Weyer, who we learnt last week was a Juventus fan and um, growing yeah. up, <laughs> uh, even though he was obviously a, a, he won the Ballon d'Or while playing for Milan. Um, so his son, Timothy, who's at Lille, uh, United States uh, international uh, attacker, is, um, is the deal is basically done and it looks like it's going to be completed this week for 12 million euros. This hasn't gone down well with, with Juventus fans um, for, for a few simple reasons as they look at one stat from last season. This is an attacker who <laughs> played 32 games last season and scored zero goals. Zero. Um, now, there is a caveat there in that um, he didn't play all the season as an attacker or a winger. He can play as a striker or as a, or as a, as a winger, which is his natural roles. He actually played a fair few games as a right-back. Um, he was pushed to right-back because partly to do with injuries, but also he couldn't get into the team on, in the attack or on the wing. So... I, mean, I think he's obviously being brought in to replace Cuadrado. Is what I think. Is is it's just to me that's just well. That's for the people that yeah, people that are close to Juventus are are suggesting that 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 he is seen as a replacement for Cuadrado. Yeah. Um, but I mean, is this a Juventus level player? Um, I haven't didn't watch much of him last season. I have seen him in previous seasons, but I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, people I've spoken to in France, Liga experts are saying, well, this is not a Juventus level player. So, I mean. I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm being harsh, but I, it's another signing that just doesn't really make much sense to me. Juventus need to make 100 to 140 million euros this season. Um, then they spend 12 million on Weyer. 12 million is not a huge amount, but do you spend 12 million on Weyer when you don't have much to spend? Um, while they aren't prepared to give Chiesa a wage hike uh, and they're having to make sacrifices elsewhere, is this somebody you want to be signing? And is he someone that's going to make the difference? I mean, maybe... Maybe it's a genius move. Maybe someone's seen something and he can be this this Alfonso Davis at right back or something. <clears throat> we haven't seen something. I don't know. Um, but he can be moulded into a star right wing back or right back. But 
Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna suspicious. wait. I'm gonna wait to see a little bit more. I have a closer look at him um, before I make my mind up. But it's the kind of player that you know, Juve and Inter and Milan and all these clubs have to miss. sign now. It's you know, younger, cheaper wages, cheaper transfer fees, and then hope that they can be able to develop them to become uh, stars, and then maybe sell them on. Um, that's that's it's, it's the kind of move we, we expect. But whether or not Timothy Vea will be. Success, I, I don't know. I, I want to wait a little bit. I want to see some more first. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm suspicious. This is once again just signing someone for the, for the North American market. It's another mechanic for me. I mean, I, I don't see if he, if he wasn't American, would they have signed this player? Hmm. I, I mean, uh, zero goals in 32 games last season. I mean, it, I mean, 12 million. I mean, it's, it's, it's on paper. It's just it's just insane. Mm. I thought it was a joke when I first saw it. Um, but, you know, this is Juventus now, so no, nothing surprises me uh, anymore. Um, Rabio, though, it looks like he's going to sign a new contract. One year renewal, <laughs> 7 million euros contract, the same. Um, I mean, I guess it depends how you look at this. Um, you know, it's a one-year contract. It's not a bad deal for Juve. Um, but again, kind of like what you were saying with Aspilicueta, is that this again just shows it's just another stopgap, and it and it puts into question whether Juve have any kind of project because it's more yeah, short. Skriniar, it's more short termism. Skriniar was Aspilicueta was Skriniar's replacement. Rabio is Rabio's replacement. So it's not a step back. You're getting exactly what you had before. So there, there's the difference. There's a drop off of Grand Canyon proportions of going from Aspilicueta mm. to Skriniar. You're going literally sideways. That's with fair, but it's also, but it's the same. It's the same thing that you know. Juventus, do they actually have a project? Do they actually have any plan of where they want to be in three to five years, or is it just like, oh, we need to buy a midfielder. Oh, let's just get Rabiot. Let's just kick the can down for another year. I mean, it's like Di Maria Paredes last year. Why I was so against their signings, including Di Maria, despite you know what a legend he is, because it just shows that there is no project at Juventus. There is no plan of what they want to build there. And you can't build a, a successful and sustainable project this way. Um, it's just, well, we'll just sign him up for another year. Um, so that's that's my issue with this. It's not taken in isolation of whether this is a, you know, I'm sure he'll do a, he'll do a, he can do another good job uh, next season. But it's what does this mean in terms of Juventus trying to build a project and get out of the mess that they're in? And for me, that just shows that there, well, there isn't one. <laughs> there isn't one, uh, and it also. Sh- it also shows for sure, and we've, we've learned that Allegri has rejected a lucrative offer from Saudi Arabia, um, which has infuriated most Juventus fans. But it definitely shows that Allegri's staying because Rabiot, um, if there's one thing Allegri has done, it's, he's got the best out of Rabiot. Rabiot appreciates him and Rabiot probably feels well in Euro 2024 year. Um, you know, this is probably the best for me to stay, at the, stay with the manager who's got the best out of me. Um, so... Yeah, this this definitely shows that Allegri is staying. Rabiot would not sign, would not be signing on for another year if Allegri left. No chance. No, I don't no think chance so. in a million years. No, no. I think Allegri is staying in, and I'm not entirely sure about the Saudi Arabian links. There's lots of people saying that it's nonsense that he was never offered anything. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, my understanding is he definitely was offered, <coughs> but but he um, he was never had any intention ever. Of um, of moving there, regardless of the salary. Um, yeah. But either way, he's he's um, he's staying. 
unfortunately. So that's another year written off for Juventus. Oh, and my let's, God. Let's move on to uh, an issue that, again, we, we discussed on Thursday um, about where this Tonali sale puts Serie A in terms of, you know, their future well, and their present. Because um, Tonali's not the only big star that is leaving Serie A this summer. Skriniar, of course, is already going to, to PSG. Teo Hernandez, um, multiple sources saying that he's available for sale from Milan if a, if a big bid comes in. Uh, Onana, of course, as we've said, you know, he is available from Inter if the right bid comes in. We know Manchester United are wanting to sign him. Uh, Vlaovic will be sold by Juventus. Chiesa is available uh, and wants to leave. Uh, bids from, from Aston Villa, interest from Newcastle and, and Liverpool. Kim Min-Jae is, is almost certain he's going to leave Napoli, probably to, to Bayern Munich. Ossiman's wanted by every big club. We have to hope that De Laurentiis will, will save us <laughs> on that. Uh, Milinkovic-Savic, I think, will definitely leave Lazio, although it looks more likely he will stay in Serie A. <clears throat> uh, Amrabat will leave Fiorentina to go to a big club abroad. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, Vicario is joining Tottenham. Udoji has joined Tottenham already. Coop Miners is receiving Premier League bids. Um, so like, if you work your way down every single big club or top seven, top eight club, they're, they're, you can pretty much pick out at least one or two from each from each team in terms of the big name stars and le- potentially leaving Serie A. So um, how worrying is this for, for Serie A? Well, the Serie A is a feeder league. It's as simple as that. Um, we've, I don't want to repeat because we've gone through this a hundred times on this podcast in detail and contextualised it, but... Serie A is a feeder league. Um, some of it is their own fault. Um, some of them, some of it, you know, because of, for example, how they've not grown their brand abroad, the TV, the the the, the international TV deals, <clears throat> and stuff like that. And some of it is also because the EPL was is is just backed by such big political and financial you know powers that the city i can't compete so no this is this is what it is now the city is a, is a feeder league and, and just accept it you know it's it's this is why when the european super league came along i was all in favor of it and everyone who said that football was saved when the european super league crashed well enjoy enjoy i mean what do you want me to say it's you know nobody said the european super league was the the best the, the, the something good it was the lesser of two evils because it spread the money around it spread the wealth around it didn't concentrate it on in one country in one league well now that's completely gone and uefa's comp- made it absolutely clear their mission is to protect the epl that's why they exist the e in uefa stands for england uh and it's <laughs> it's as simple as that um so it's this is the reality and there's no point moaning about it it's as simple as that this is where we are now and i didn't want it to come to this because i think it kills football i think the interest is is will will be killed because you know lots of people you know the the entire latin american audience the the asian audience yes they're, they're they are premier league fans but they also love italy and spain these are historic clubs um and them turning into feeder leagues for Brighton and Bournemouth, well, it kind of kills the, the the beauty of it. That together with Jerry Cardinale trying to reenact a Hollywood movie at Milan um, <laughs> and whatever the hell Stephen Jang is doing at Inter, 
um, and whatever the hell is going on at Juve. Yeah, I was waiting for you to come to Juve. <laughs> uh, you know, it's... it's Elkan is at the Bilderberg group this week. No, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you know, this this is where it is. But there is a positive side to this in the short term, I think. Um, and that is that no team will dominate in the Serie A. And that in and of itself, mean domestically, that is. And that means, in my opinion, that it'll make the Serie A more attractive for people to watch generally because it becomes a tighter league. Every year the league winner will be forced to sell their jewels, their gioielli, as the Italians yeah. say. And that may, means that they have to reinvest and rebuild. And that also means that the league is going to be much tighter. And I think from a domestic point of view, that makes it more interesting. That means that Napoli can win after 33 years. That means that if Sarri, or, that if Sarri at Lazio or Mourinho at Roma play their cards right, they can actually win a miraculous Scudetto. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that, Absolutely, yeah. So, so that, that's, a, that's, that's a good thing in the short term. That's the positive side. That's yeah. the positive of it. But until the Serie A gets their heads out of their butts and start mm. realizing that it's 2023 and that they need to start growing their brand on a mo- on a modern in a modern way and that they stop being dysfunctional internally um, they put a legal put in together a system in place that is not susceptible to political pressure like it is constantly um, and 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 etc 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 there's so much you know we yeah. can go through that's this all fair week. i just think that what we need to what we definitely need to avoid is and i'm sorry have we you know we're not going to polish a turd to, to quote you mm-hmm. Emma, is we are moving uh, we are moving towards Serie A becoming you know uh, uh, an italian area divisie just as all the other leagues are just as the bundesliga is just as but it's already is, that it's already and just happened. as yeah, well, we're not at, we're not at the Eredivisie level. Let's, no, let's not, but I don't let's, think let's we'll ever that. be at but, the Eredivisie yeah. level because it is Serie A. You know, is is a bigger league. But, than the, the well, but basically, the point I'm making is, like I said on Thursday, is once you reach a level of football where the quality really is at that level, like the Eredivisie is now, or like the Scottish Premier League is now, mm. you know, the interest will go. People won't want to watch that. You know, even you know, even in the countries that the interest will go, even in their own domestic countries. And, and that is the concern. And when you look at, you know, even the domestic TV negotiations at the moment, um, I mean, that, that is very concerning because, you know, you look at that they were hoping to get 1.2 billion per year from the three broadcasters that, that are bidding. Uh, and I've actually spoken to someone who's, who's actually close to, to one of these companies in their negotiations. Now, they didn't even reach, I was told not even close to half. De Laurentiis basically confirmed that, but they're not even even anywhere close to half. Now, part of that's negotiations. It will eventually yeah. go up, um, but um, this is you know this is hugely concerning that the TV the gap in the TV revenue between Serie A and the Premier League we know is is absolutely astronomical. Um, domestically, the last TV cycle. Um, was worth just over nine hundred thousand euros a year in Serie A. That's the one that ends next year in twenty twenty four. Nine hundred thousand. There's no way it can be worth nine hundred thousand a year. Nine hundred thousand. Yeah, the last the last TV cycle, which not ends, even which a million is, euros. Not even a million. Yeah, the last TV cycle is just over nine hundred thousand euros a year domestically. Now that's actually not so bad in comparison to the other leagues, um, because the the, the last T- Premier League domestic TV deal was just under 1.9 million a year so okay it's double it's still it's still a big gap there uh, a hell of a, a hell of a big gap but um, sorry, um but 
sorry, 900 million. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yes. You, you 900 million, not 900,000. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah. say. There's no way that 900 million, yeah, and yeah. the EPL, 1.9 billion. Yeah, yeah sorry, what, yeah. I meant to say yeah. 900 million. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, yeah. like, you gave me a complete heart attack. Like, 900,000, that's what, like, Jan Bisek would earn. Well, it's like under 21 defender. That's where, we go, that, that's where we're going, though. Um, if, we're not, if, we're not, if we're not, we're not careful. Um, yeah, so 900 million a year. Right, um, and the, the the Premier League domestic TV deal is worth just under one point nine billion yeah. a year. The Bundesliga just over one billion. Uh, La Liga just under one billion. Um, so, I mean, it's still a, it's still a big gap there, but th- that's not the problem. It hasn't been what ha- that is not what has been the problem. The domestic TV hasn't been the problem. It's been the overseas uh, revenue where. Serie A just gets absolutely blasted out of the waters by, and not just by the Premier League. The Premier League is making over two billion uh, a year from foreign TV revenue. Um, Serie A is making three hundred million, <laughs> two over two billion to three hundred million. Congratulations, uh, well mean, done. It's just it's just embarrassing. And La Liga <laughs> is just La Liga is just under a billion, and I think Serie A is the fourth of the of the big five leagues in this, but. You know, that is where the problem has been. But now, if we're talking about the domestic TV, but we're now going to be struggling to sell domestic TV in addition to this foreign, foreign TV revenue, then, I mean, I mean, we, we, then we are becoming the, the Dutch, then we are becoming the Italian area divisie. Um, so, I mean, we'll see where, where these numbers end up. Um, it's just part of the negotiation. It will definitely won't be, you know, what, what's, what's, you know, they'll, they'll, do, they'll do private negotiations with each uh, broadcaster and I'm sure that number will go up. But, you know, this is just just adds to the concern about where Serie A is going and why there is this exodus. And we saw Roberto Mancini saying himself, if a player like Tonali leaves Italy, there is a problem. That's exactly that's his exact words. Yeah, but it's it is what it, it, look it is what it is, and there's no point. This is the reality we're in. Um, and you know, when you have a completely deregulated market where the one with the biggest wallet. You know, the biggest fish eats up the small fish. Then you can't really complain. Like I said, we were on this path. We were set on this path to reach where we are decades ago. Um, before you, you know, before you reach to Z, you start with A. A was decades ago. Now we're at Z, and the Saudis are doing the exact same thing. So I have no empathy for anyone who complains because when you reap the benefits and you and you're all in favor of it this being the model that you want to use, then you don't get to complain when it doesn't go your way. And this is the reality. The European football ecosystem is built like this. It's not sustainable. Um, There is one league that dominates because it has an incredible revenue stream. Some would say inflated revenue stream in terms of the TV deal uh, and that they are worried about the balloon bursting there. But... Well, you know, this is just the reality we're in. It's it's as simple as that. Um, but I think from the city for the city in the short term, it makes the league more exciting. It means that the the, the younger players will come up through the city the, the the it'll be tighter for the top four and the top six, and the league title will be a battle every year. And so will the relegation scrap. God bless it. Mm. So. It's you know this is what it does, and I, you know you'll be fine, Nima. You will even <laughs> yeah, even if even if, Italian, if even if Italian football as long as Serie B and Serie C exist, I'll be fine. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's <laughs> I'll be perfectly fine. Yeah. No, look, it's I. You know, I think even Italy, if Serie A turns into the no, Bedford no. Michael R. Peters Sunday League, you you will still be but fine. You still have because, you'll yeah, still have your relegation. Dog yeah, but as long as I get to watch. <laughs> Foggia and Lecco have their little I'm not, I'm not. I'm not biting today. <laughs> I'm just about getting over that. <laughs> as long as I get to watch Lecce, you know, beat, you know, against Spezia, Hellas against Spezia, you know, the, these kind of scraps. And l- the league is beautiful. It's it's the Serie B as well. The playoff there, you know, Cagliari against Bari was insane. Um, you know, it's, it's the Italian football will always produce players. It just needs to get a hold of itself. Um, it just needs to start realize that it's 2023. They need to get rid of all the incompetent old people and their sons and daughters who've been appointed to to the to to to, to take over after them mm. because raccomandazione and their horses. And their horses. Is, yeah, well, <laughs> raccomandazione is a problem. Um, but you know, you need to have competent people in there. But I think I think it'll change. I think one good thing with you know these venture capitalists and these corporate guys like. Jerry Cardinale and, and these guys coming in is that they don't give a crap about whose dad is with like they don't they will vote for what's best for them in terms of revenue, oh, and that means sure. the Serie A will modernize. It has to. Oh yeah, they'd so rob their that, own. They'd rob their own grandma. Yeah, but no, people. but seriously, they look if, at if it they like they can that. make money from it. They'll, they'll <laughs> exactly. No, they they will, and and they will have zero if they if they can sack Paolo Maldini unceremoniously. They will not care that about someone's son and daughter being being the face of Serie A or, or being in charge of marketing at Serie A when he's in co or he or she is incompetent. That that's just that's just the name name of the game. And I think that you know everything, nothing's just bad and good. Everything has you know there are nuances to this. So I think the Serie A is, is going through a metamorphosis, um, and I a new identity is being created. Um, not just Milan, not just you know, all the clubs, all the entire league. And I think it's good for Italian football. I think it's time to modernize. Whether it, they're successful or not, I think we have to wait until the dust settles. Yeah. But Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, 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 you, you mentioned that one one good aspect from all this could be the, the, um, the, the youngsters coming mm. through. So let's talk about Italy's under-21s who are at the European Championship uh, and they've played two games since, since our last show. Um they lost the first game to France 2-1 and then they beat Switzerland 3-2 on on Sunday. And let's start off with the France game first. Uh, in your ranking of the biggest scandals, refereeing scandals of football history, where does this rank? It's, I, I really <laughs> don't... I have no words. For me, what's worse is how UEFA handled it. Once this happens, then they go, yeah, from the quarterfinals, we'll have VAR in place. Because as a friend of a uh, uh, friend of mine who is a referee. He's a producer also for for um, for 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 TSN in, in, in Canada. Michael Gallo. You know, he's an, he's he's a trained referee, and he's you know he basically said that look, the VAR costs lots of money. It's it's a very expensive thing, and UEFA wanted to cut costs. UEFA um, don't have any money. Yeah, like the, yeah, they do, but <laughs> they want to cut costs. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's up, uh, utterly bizarre. Um, but yeah, so basically what he, you know, what he said was that the referee can't, the referee couldn't give the goal. It's the assistant referee that should have been there when the VAR isn't there. It's the, it's the job of the assistant referee to be by this, by the line. And he wasn't there. He wasn't doing his job. 
but it's it's of it's you know I was I saw a clip of French commentators and they were like that's a goal like that that is a goal that ball is inside the the goal line it's it's a goal it's as simple as that but even the referee should see that and the referee is in perfect position I mean yes yeah. the the protocol is that that the find the buck end the buck stops with with the assistant on on you know over the line goals which are you know close this wasn't close. The no, guy no. was the guy was standing halfway in the line. His feet, his his right foot, his right side of his body, and his right foot, which is the, the side of his body which he used to claw it out with his hand. By the way, um, was halfway in the goal line. You can see the picture. There's an was image. It in of the, I mean, I would, for me, it was just like Montari with with that that thing. It was. It, it was, was more so, than Montari. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, obviously, it was, Montari you can see clearly because you've got yeah, the actual was, perfect image. But yeah. but I mean, if you look at this from you know, you don't need to have a, a, a degree in physics to to see that the guy yeah. is halfway inside <clears throat> the line. Uh, yeah. He uses the right side of his body to get the ball out. Well, the ball's over the line. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, no. it's it's insane. Um, no, it's, it's 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 a scandal, but at least it had some effect because now the VAR is around. They're going to have goal line technology and VAR from the quarterfinals, which is they should have had anyway uh, at the under twenty one level. Well, for sure, yeah. I mean, if 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 Italy, you know, as long as Italy go through, of course. Um, I think I they mean, there will were, be. There were two other there were two other scandalous decisions in that game yeah. as well. It was a clear handball um, at one all from the from the French defender. Yeah. He had his hand hand out like a like, like a like a fascist salute, and <laughs> and and then there was the the foul on the goal for France's winner as well, which was a clear clear, clear foul with the referee. Right this is there why again. I want VAR. This is why I was always in favor of the VAR, and this is why I think mm. the VAR is a fantastic tool, even though it has its flaws. I think it can improve, but I think this is fundamentally what it does well. It stops these outrageous decisions and people yeah. who says no, that fair. this is the it's charm fair. of football. Mm are insane. It's it's insane to me to say that this is the the, the, the the controversy is part of football and it's part of the charm. That to me is mental. That is genuinely insane. How can you think it's charming when wrong decisions are made? No, when when, when big decisions are made like this, I mean you I think you're you're There's nothing charming right. about it. It's it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I find it bizarre. But so mm. I think I think this was good in the sense that I think it killed off the VAR discussion once and for all for, for everyone who was on the fence. Um, yeah. So that's good. You know, but people have so to Italy, learn the hard way. Italy had to beat Switzerland in the, in the, in the game on Sunday. If they, if they hadn't won that, it would have been definitely game over for, for, for Italy. Um, and um, they won 3-2. But, I mean, that only tell, doesn't tell even a, a fraction of the story, which is Italy were 3-0 up at half-time, cruising, in cruise control. And then absolutely fell apart in the in the second half. And, and what I draw from this game, a few things, but the, the number one is that our concerns at the beginning of the tournament was, is Paolo Nicolato, the, the manager, is he good enough? Is he a good enough manager for Italy to, to, to go all the way and win this tournament? And that is my biggest conclusion from, from the Switzerland game is, uh, I don't know if Italy can win this tournament with, with Nicolato as manager. Is that your takeaway? I, I don't think he's good enough, um, but I do still think that uh, it, Italy have a very good squad and should reach at least a quarterfinal, uh, regardless of who the manager is. But this is again like with Di Biagio. I don't understand why they, they give these jobs at under twenty one level to people who shouldn't have them. You know, it, it's this thing in, in the FIGC where they give these fantastic squads um, to 
to managers that aren't good enough and end up costing Italy. Um, but I mean, look, Italy should qualify through to to the quarterfinals, and then the defense is an issue. Um, and it's not just the defense; it's the defensive aspect of how the midfield is completely gets overplayed and overrun, um, and exposes the back three constantly, time and time and time again. And he doesn't seem able to address that. That was um, that was the most alarming part of the second half. The second yeah. half tactically was a, was a total structurally and tactically was a total shambles for it. Mm. The gaps between the, def- the the three departments, defense to the midfield and the midfield to the attack. I mean, it was absolutely massive. It was like thirty yards between each between each department. And that's not an exaggeration. It was no. absolutely huge. You can't. I mean, you, you you can't you can't you can't win football games playing playing like that. And <clears> the fact that it was so visible on TV and Nicolato's there and he's not doing anything about it. All it needed was a, was a, was a, was a, just to talk to his squad tighter together, tight, yeah. get the departments tighter together, keep it tight. And, 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 and he was doing nothing. He changed nothing structurally or tactically during that second You're half. Three nil and, up for and Italy were lucky to, Italy were lucky to, 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 to win that game in the end because Switzerland had a one-on-one mm. um, at three, two. Which, and they could have squared it for an open goal as well, yeah. and he curled it just wide. And they were they were they were on the ropes. They were completely on the ropes, and the midfield fell apart, and it got completely overrun. Partly because the, the, the field, they made the field too big. Um, the gaps in between the, the wing backs as well. Uh, the defensive line was awful. One player ten yards behind the rest of them, and one player ten yards in front. Uh, it looked embarrassing. It looked like yeah. play school. Uh, you know, it was it was ridiculous, and and that's what annoyed me the most. It's like you don't at this level. Yes, I get they're under twenty one, but look at the players there. We're talking how much Champions League and European football experience do you have in in, in those in, in that squad? And and look at the way they played. And sometimes it was embarrassing to watch, and and that is that falls squarely on Nicolato to me. Yeah, for sure. And the defense, yeah, I mean, Ocoli and Scalvini were, were horrible, uh, horrible. Ocoli has the excuse that he's barely played this mm. year for, for Atalanta. But, you know, we, we were both quite big on him. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, now that now that gives me more question marks after watching that performance because his distribution was terrible. He gave it away almost every time he had it. But he was getting done so easily. Uh, he looked lethargic. He, he was positionally all over the place. So that was a concern. Um, but from a longer-term point of view, Scalvini, I still don't know... I don't know whether I'm being too harsh on the guy, but I'm still, I'm still waiting to see what is the fuss about with Scalvini. Because all the experts in Italy talk about what a phenomenon this guy is. And I, I still, I'm still waiting for it. I'm like, what am I supposed to be seeing here from Scalvini? And, and he was bad. He was, he was, he was, he got, he was getting done. He, was, he turned his back on the second goal, which was bizarre. Um, he's slow on the turn. Uh, I, I'm, I never trust defenders that are slow. Uh, and I don't know. Am I being too harsh with Scalvini? I mean, he's 19 years old, so he is very, very young. Maybe I'm being too harsh in him for his age, maybe. Um, no, no. I don't know. I, I, I think the, the criticism is, is fair, but I, I want to wait a little bit more. But I'm not, I'm, I agree with you in the sense that there are, I'm not the phenomenon, the new Bastoni stuff. Yeah, this guy's not a wonder kid, is he? No, that's, that's where I, I'm with you on that. I don't think we're talking some sort of new Bastoni here that people have been raving about. I, I, I haven't seen it. Maybe he is, but I, st- I haven't seen it. But 
he's uh i still think you know he's still pretty young and i think we should wait a little bit more. yeah and one of our patrons we were having a chat weren't we last yesterday evening about scalvini uh, sharma uncle sharma has a great uh great show into into show on youtube he he was saying that scalvini is just a typical atalanta defender can only play mm. on the front foot so yeah. when he's having to defend his box or or actually i'd actually think on his box he's he, maybe he didn't say that but you know when he has to turn basically yeah. is what he was saying you know like when he no. defends high up and he has to press and win the ball fine that's what atalanta defenders do but when he has to defend in the space behind him uh that's where he struggles which i think is definitely true but i actually think in the box he's not too bad i mean he's very good aerially very very good aerially uh, and that is actually probably his biggest strength this tournament. They're mm. so good on corners. Have, one thing I'll give to Nicolato, he's worked out some kind of corner routine. They are so dangerous on corners um, that that is something that they need to definitely explore, especially if they play, as it looks like, Spain in the quarterfinal, who have looked really good in this tournament. Uh, mm. That's something they will have to exploit uh, against Spain. For sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. If we want to get positives, though, Parisi and Bellanova, fantastic. Oh, I love us. Outstanding. I, Bellanova Outstanding. is just... This, this is why I'm so annoyed with Inter, because... That you seven million is nothing for this guy. Just he he will be a good like you can see it there. He he struggled. He has one the raw season. qualities. Yeah, he has the yeah, raw qualities. I mean, yeah. it's just oh, it's just his final ball. But actually, you know, his crossing in the first half was actually good. He got an assist yeah. in this game, and Parisi was was excellent. He got yeah, a goal, is. Um, and he showed he can play as a wing back now. So you know, it's, there's no much. yeah, yeah. I think he's I think he's very complete. I think he can play three or a four. Yeah. Uh, for sure, no, he can absolutely. Hmm. Okay, right. Before we finish off with Badger and Prem face of the week, um, we've been doing a, a, a lot of transfer profiles in recent weeks, obviously, because it's the transfer market. So let's just do one on Andre Onana, who, um, of course, is, is very well known, but maybe not so well known among Premier League fans. Um, it looks like Onana is going to be uh, probably moving to the Premier League this summer to Manchester United. Manchester United want to sign him. Um, so first of all, for United fans, Nima, what what will they be getting from Anana? They will be getting uh, the best goalkeeper in the world in terms of the ball at his feet in, ter- in the, in the, in the build-up phase. Um, there is no one like him. So there are some of the passes this guy plays. It's like playing with Pirlo in goal. It, it's bizarre. He's so, so good. And I'm not, and I'm not just talking the air, in terms of the long balls in the airs. I'm talking even 50-yard passes on the ground. The, the awareness and the ability to execute that this guy has. Um, if the midfielders are and the strikers are intelligent enough to pick up and, and move um, in terms of their movement and can find those runs, he will pick them out. And this just makes, to stress the importance of that, Nima, <clears throat> yeah. Guardiola said, even ahead of the Champions League final, mm. that he basically wasn't even going to attempt to do a, an ultra-high press against Inter's defence because... When you play against a team that has a goalkeeper that's so good with his feet as Onana, it's basically impossible to to the press them yeah. uh, that high and that with that ultra high press, yeah, um, which I find. That. Which I find. I mean, I bow to to Pep because he has the master become the master of press. I never thought it would have that much of an impact. Uh, obviously, it's important, um, but if Pep's saying it. Then he well, knows. of course it is, uh, because he, if you press high up and the, you have someone that is so good with the ball at his feet, he just one simple pass and he pa- played past every line of press. And of course, the- yeah, but you still, need, you still need your defenders to be able to play out as well. But yeah, it is very, very important. Uh, and and for Man United, who have, who have David De Gea, who, who uh, is uh, very bad with his feet, um, and for Ten Hag, who likes to have, and who actually coached on Anna, 
to have that, it will add an extra dimension. Oh, for to, sure. And to, the to, fact to that United. they know each other from Ajax as well. And no, it's, I, I think Manchester United are getting in the, in the, in the attacking phase They're they're essentially going to have 11 outfield players with Onana if they get him. Um, and I, I think there are red flags in terms of aerially, meaning when the ball is played into you know into the penalty area, crosses. Mm. I think that's his weakness. I think sometimes yeah. he misjudges and he his flaps times, a bit, doesn't he? Fla- yeah. yeah, flaps exactly that. Yeah. Um, and but as a shot stopper, his reflexes are great. I one thing I really rate him for is his ability to not give rebounds straight out. He pushes rebounds whenever he gives them to the sides to his sides, <clears throat> which is incredibly important. And, you know, that that, that he's already got down. But <clears throat> in terms of the build-up phase, the guy is just... He's, he's the best in the world. There is no one who's as good as him with the ball at his feet. No one. And he's going to help Manchester. And he's going to be... They're going to have 11 outfield players if they sign him because he can be that... <clears throat> if you look at what happens with Inter, they play a 4-5-2 because Onana becomes the right centre-back in a back four. And the and the right centre back in the back three becomes a full back, the wing backs become wingers, and you can push forward like that uh, with him, and it's it's truly truly fantastic to see. Now he is, he's he's he, the attacking phase part of his game is simply world class, and it's the evolution of football. This is something new. We've never seen a goalkeeper play like this. Mm. Um, I think and, it does a disservice to him that. Everybody only seems to talk about how good he is with his feet. I mean, he's a fantastic goalkeeper overall. As oh, well. yeah, and, he is. And he's, he's commanding. I love his personality. Oh, I love how that. I love he's a how, mentality monster. Yeah, and I um, love how cool he is as well. He gives calm uh, uh, to the defence. He makes the defence play better. I mean, you don't, I don't need to tell you how no. the difference uh, in terms of how well the inter-defence play when he's there and when Hanadanic is there, regardless of, of whether the keeper makes any saves or not. Uh, and he's just he's just somebody that's very confident in his abilities and who belongs on the big stage. And we saw yep. his performances in the Champions League, in the big matches. He was the best more, goalkeeper more in the clean, Champions League. Best goalkeeper in the Champions League, man. More, more clean sheets than anyone. I think it was eight in total. Yeah, uh, eight. Last season, had some massive games on the route to the final, especially against Porto in the second, in the last 16. Um, and uh, he's he's in the peak of his career. He's twenty six, twenty seven, I think now uh, years old, and and he is. Um, they could even play him up front, um, Man United. They need a striker. And yeah, I saw well, a video. Yeah, I saw, a video, he, I saw yeah. a video of him that went viral of him mm. uh, telling Dumfries how to shoot, yeah. <laughs> teaching Dumfries how to, to play football. Essentially, <laughs> you should probably keep him and play him as a right wing back and just buy a new goalkeeper and sell Dumfries. Um, <laughs> yes. But it's. Uh, no, I set, he, I set that up on purpose. Of course you did. <laughs> I think I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> no, he is. Um, he's unbelievable uh, in in the attacking phase. So yes, he's a good shot stopper and all that too. But the um, the the build up phase is truly remarkable. But he's going to. I think in the Premier League, he's going to let in some howlers on in area league because sometimes he flaps until he masters that fully. Yeah. <clears throat> but on the in the build up stage and the mentality he has and his attitude and winning mentality that he has and the leadership he shows, the leadership he shows on the pitch is just... Uh, Inter are making a gargantuan mistake by selling him. Hmm. Especially if they're selling Are you resigned to them losing him or do you think there is I'm a not chance resigned. I'm not resigned because I'm, um, I'm not resigned. I think there's much more to this, but I think they are making a gargantuan mistake if they sell him and especially so if they sell him to buy Romelu Lukaku on a permanent basis. That's suicide to me. That is just yeah. mental. 
I don't. I don't see that, that happening. I, I think Marotta's too shrewd to do something like that. Well, I I, I hope so, uh, but at this stage, yeah. I don't exclude anything. But okay, we'll see. All right, let's finish off with Badjo and Prem face of the week. Badjo Nima, who you got? Um, I really liked Belanova this week. I thought he was outstanding. Um, I thought his performance for the under-21 and the maturity that he's shown was was really, really good. And also, he should have had a goal against France, where which was un, unfairly not given, even though the ball was well inside. So, for me, it's Belanova. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I would go with that. I mean, it's, 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 it's the football that's being played, isn't it? So, we go with... Uh, I mean, if I can give an honourable mention... Not an Italian. Well, actually, he does have an Italian grand grandparent, I believe, and, and Mancini was trying to sign him. Rayan Sherky for the France under twenty oh. runs. Oh my gosh, I am in love with watching this guy play. Mm. Just, 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 just watching him play. Just from an artistry point of view. I mean, this guy come on as a sub in both both games for for, for France, uh, and just oh my gosh, some of the stuff, the back heels, the through passes, but just the. Just the, the, the elegance and and the technique and and the the, the guile and the vision and, and the, the little flicks and the tricks and and you know it's like watching a number ten from the eighties or yeah. the nineties. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a player that has gone out, been disappeared from the game. And and it's I wonder just, if it's not coming back again now because I, I think so. yeah I think we but, but we'll see a modified version of it um, I think I think you know for me football goes in cycles I think we're going to see the trequartista return but it's just not going to be like back in the day where then he walked around the if it if it does that that player still needs to still needs to do defensive work we're exactly not, my point gone are the days where we have uh, a number 10 who doesn't who just who doesn't Francesco Totti walking around the pitch yeah Riquelme literally walking on the pitch yeah. with a cane with a walking stick <laughs> um, but the, those days are gone but we're, you're yeah. gonna I think we're seeing a return of that because when you have those qualities in the central part of the pitch that can unlock defences that's that's not that's a great... oh, he's a joy to watch. Honestly, he's the kind of player that you you would pay the admission fee just to watch him play. Even if your team loses six nil, just just he's just he's just magic. He's magic to watch. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy watching him play, and I can see why Mancini tried to uh, try to, to to steal him for Italy. And I guess we, we Italy could still steal him. I mean, mm. <laughs> it's uh, it's under twenty one, so you can still yeah, play, can't true. you? After we'll the under twenty one, so uh, I don't think it will happen. But you know, it would be it would be a lot of fun if you did. Yeah. Okay, uh, Prem face of the week. I know you have something you want to talk about, feel, you feel very strongly about. Um, no, you go first. Uh, and, and, uh, well, it's uh, Jamie Carragher and, um, and, and, the, um, uh, and Gary Neville and the hip- hypocrisy over Saudi Arabia being able to, not being allowed to, to spend any money on, on, on players. That was your one, wasn't it? And that's my one as well. Look, it's it's um, it's astonishing to me when they there's it's okay for Saudi Arabia to be a military ally. It's okay for for Saudi Arabia to be a political ally. It's okay to to have Saudi Arabia for for the West commit genocide in Yemen. It's even okay for Saudi Arabia to to buy. Newcastle and, and and make them and pump money there, but it's not okay for Saudi Arabia to and Chelsea. To, yeah, exactly. But they're not. They're not. But they're not allowed to build their own league. 
Why? Makes no sense. And before I have a bunch of low IQ idiots talking to me about me being paid by Saudi Arabia, let me <laughs> let me explain to you something. I am one of the few people of Iranian heritage outside of Iran who has actively turned down Saudi money. In on, on in 2020, on the 5th of January 2020, I received an email from one of the producers of the Saudi uh, carbon cutout TV station known as Iran International, and they wanted me to join them to come to come on. I can read you the email. Um, they wanted us to. They wanted me to. Um, they they said we would love to have you interview with us at Iran International as part of our sports programming. Your knowledge and expertise and experience as a sports journalist would be an invaluable contribution to our coverage and would be greatly appreciated by our audience. Specifically, we would like to invite you to join us for commentary on any of the following Italian football games: Roma, Lazio, Napoli, Juve, Inter Milan, Juve, Inter Milan, Roma. Um, in addition, should there be any news developments related to Italian football, we would like to invite you to join us as part of our sports news coverage. Um, and they were going to pay me. They wanted to fly me out to their studios and they wanted to pay me. And my response to that was do one, literally, because I don't, I don't, that was back then when I believe that you should talk to people of who don't, who don't agree with you politically. Absolutely. This is, for example, I wouldn't turn down to debate on Fox News or BBC Persian or anything like that, because I think you should be able to talk to, to, to whoever you want. But I don't ever accept money for that. And I'm not going to... This was after Jamal Khashoggi, who is a journalist who I have profound political disagreements with. But I didn't go on their, on their show on Iran International, which is directly funded by Saudi and the Saudi state because of that. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to sit here and pretend that what is going on now is anything other than racism. It is the notion that white is right and anything darker than that is not okay. It's the, it's the family guy meme of okay and not okay, the darker skin. That's what it is. Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville and Gary Lineker and all these guys have no problem taking money from countries, from those countries. They just don't want them to sit as equals at the table with them. That's the issue. And that is a level of hypocrisy. It's also, well, it's also, it's not, that, I'm not buying it. I'm sorry. That's it's, a spot it's also that, that we're not out. Well, it's also with Carragher and Neville. It's also, I mean, I'm sure that that is definitely part of it, at least on an un un unconscious level, no doubt about it. But, but it's also that, you know, Carragher and Neville are shills for the Premier League. They want the Premier League to, to, to reign supreme and be the, 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 the rulers and the only rulers yeah, of the of world. And, and when other leagues, you know, when, when the Premier League are, have been, you know, destroying every other league and have destroyed Serie A, La Liga, uh, Bundesliga, uh, Liga, you know, and all these other leagues, well, what they said about that, <laughs> you know? Nothing. No, but so, no, but they, this this is what I mean. It's like either Saudi has every right to buy players on equal terms, and if you're actually looking at what they're doing, they're not overpaying for any players in terms of transfer fees. The wages that they might be, but they're not bound by UEFA's rules because they're not in the European zone. They're mm -hmm. doing it the way that everyone else did. When you know, when when the Premier League hoovers up players, these guys. These guys all, when Newcastle bought Tonali, they're all celebrating. <laughs> so yeah. 
Why is why is that okay? But it's not okay for Saudi clubs to buy five players. It makes no sense whatsoever. And well, let me just let me, let me just, let me just um, also one thing. Just because a lot of people don't know anything about Asian football, Saudi is not Qatar. Saudi is a country with a long history of football history and a deep football culture. It's a country of almost forty million people who are all very very deeply passionate about their football. They love their football. So they're going to a league that, that has packed stadiums. They're going to a league that has a footballing culture. And it's just that Saudi has more money now than the Premier League clubs. It's as simple as that. It's not harder than that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot, um, we, could, there's a lot we could talk about this, but we have to finish the, the show now. Um, we will be back on Tuesday for the Q&A. Uh, then tomorrow. on Thursday. Yeah, and then yeah. on Thursday for a transfer, special transfer pod. Uh, and uh, also, well, there's, lot, there's still the Euro under 21s um, as well um, this you, week. And is, it, is it this week we're doing the Juve thing, right? Uh, that this, is the, this week or next week. We just, I just need to get confirmation from Romeo Agresti. He's promised to come on, um, mm. but he was. We did pencil in this week, but uh, he's a very busy guy. So we will, yeah, we will get confirmation of that for you. But that is that is on that is in the works. Uh, and of course, if there are any other big transfers, we will be ready to uh, to react like we did with Tonali. Um, to Newcastle, which was really, really popular. Um, we've got a lot of got, thanks for everyone, all your lovely words about that. Um, yeah, we will be doing that on on some of the bigger transfers that, that, that happened during the summer. Okay, right. Uh, we will be back on Tuesday then. Um, we will see you then and have a great week. Ciao, ciao.